0: Hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Sandra Lerke over Zoom video. Sandra was born and raised in Norway, and he talks about how he got into music, was always very interested in listening to music, passionate about it, and asked his mom for a guitar when he was eight years old. He ended up getting a guitar and started taking lessons pretty early on. Sandra has three older siblings, but his oldest sister worked in a bunch of different clubs that were hosting different open mic nights. And that's how he got in and started playing his first shows in front of people. He talked about getting signed to Virgin Records fairly early on, the massive success of his first album, touring the world at 19 years old, he eventually moved to New York City. We talk about that. Writing the score for the film with Steve Carell and Dan Cook called Dan in Real Life and his experience writing that score, being able to actually be on set, writing the songs as the film was actually being shot. He talks about his quote unquote divorce album and how that was a huge turning point in his career. The trilogy of records he's released, Please, Pleasure and Patience. Moving from Los Angeles to back to Norway to record and write this new record called Avatars of Love, which is the first album that he's written a song, recorded it, and then that was done. He's done this for this album. It's a double record, and he wrote and recorded it in just one year. So he talks all about his new record, Avatars of Love. You can watch our interview with Sandra on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at bringing back pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be amazing if you follow us there as well. And if you have time, hook us up with a five-star review.
1: We'd
2: appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: We're bringing it backwards with Sandra Lerke. This is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about the new record as well. That's great. Amazing, amazing. So uh I did read, born and raised in Norway, but then you moved to what the States for a while and now are you back in Norway?
2: Uh yeah, no? I guess I, oh. I have been <laughs> I have been mostly for the yeah, for the last two years. I guess okay. because of the pandemic, I, I went home and I ended up staying here a while. But I'm going back to America now for for the tour and mm-hmm. and I still keep a place in los angeles so i'm, I'm tr- trying to figure out where i live
0: okay <laughs> right on well tell me about growing up uh, in norway
2: um yeah man it's i i grew up i'm the youngest of of uh three um mm-hmm. or i'm the no i'm the youngest of four but i'm the yeah i'm the fourth guy um and three ahead I of grew, there's three ahead of me yeah um I, I think I was supposed to save the marriage of my mom and dad, but I, I don't think I succeeded in that. Uh, okay. they, got, they got divorced when I was like five. And um, so I lived with my mom for the first, uh, you know, first uh, 12 years of my life. And then, and then, I, um, and then I moved to live with, with my dad in the city. And that was a big shift. Like I, I grew up in the suburbs and then I moved to the city um, to live with my dad. And at this point I was playing music. Uh, I was trying to write songs. And, um, when I moved to the city, I, I started playing in bands also, but I, I quickly realized I really enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed playing with people, but I really, really enjoyed the alone time of, of just sitting obsessively writing songs on my own. I could do that just for hours and, and days. And, and, um, and that's what I did really. Uh, mm-hmm. and I spent most of my teens just trying to trying to write songs on my own and, 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 you know, plucking up the courage to go on stage and performing and, and scratching that itch as well, which I could do in the city. Cause my, my, my oldest sister, she, she worked at all these sort of cool clubs where they had open mic nights. And even oh, though okay. I was too, too young to get in, I, I, I she would like vouch for me and, get me in and, and, and that was sort of the, the, my first experience performing, uh, my own songs, but also, you know, cover songs and just getting, uh, getting into it really. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was exciting.
0: For sure. For sure. Well, anyone else in your family musical, or were you the only one that kind of was passionate about it?
2: Um, it was definitely sort of my passion and my identity in many ways. Um, I was always encouraged uh, to play and to, to listen, you know, my mom listened very passionately to uh, Eurythmics and, uh, Pet Shop Boys and these things. Um, and, and, uh, and I had like, I felt I had a good audience at home. Uh, Mm -hmm. my, my oldest sister who worked in in the cool clubs and, you know, who hung out with all these local rock rock people, um, she played drums and we, we, played in the band together as well. So she learned to play the drums. So there was definitely like, she didn't pursue it as a, as a career, but she, there was definitely, there was definitely music um, in the family, but, but I always felt very, uh, I felt like music was sort of a very private, very sort of alone, alone thing that I Mm -hmm. did and that I really enjoyed sort of cultivating on my own, it was my own world, sort of. Um, but I always felt very encouraged at home.
0: That's amazing. With uh, your two middle siblings, they didn't play any instruments at all? Or were, they, or were you all kind of put into piano lessons or anything like that early on? That-
2: no, I think, I think maybe they would have wanted to be pushed more in that direction. I, 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 I remember like just one day coming home from school and, and, and saying to my mom, I, I want to learn to play the guitar. I I need to cuz at that point I was all already music was my my main hobby it was the you know just listening to music watching MTV
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know reading books about music everything uh, about it was exciting to me and and so the natural next step was to to try to learn an instrument and I said to my mom I I want to play the guitar and she said okay uh, I gotta, let's see if we can, <laughs> if you could if we can afford a, a, a guitar and, and sign you up for, for lessons really. And, and I, I didn't take to these lessons really easily. I, I wasn't a natural on the instrument. Um, I, I didn't really, uh, enjoy music theory. Um, I never really took to it or even learned it. Um, and I started like, classical guitar and that was you know that's not what i was interested in so it took me a while to really become comfortable with with the guitar i i felt a lot of resistance um within me because i i've never really felt like a like an instrumentalist in a sense i've i've never i've never wanted to play the guitar except for needing i needed an instrument to compose and i needed needed to I needed it just as a vehicle to write songs, but I never really felt any ambition when it came to like playing. Yeah. Like a shredder yeah. or like, no, yeah, I mean, no it was
0: interest kick. Yeah. For sure. I, never, I totally understand.
2: I never did that. And mm-hmm. and so I just wanted to find, you know, a way to learn the chords that I liked and, and learn to play songs really so that I could learn how to write my own songs.
1: mm-hmm.
0: With that, like, what year were you, or how old were you when you came home and asked your mom about the guitar?
2: Um, I think I was eight years old. Um, wow. This, yeah, I was born in eighty two, so this was probably around, yeah, like in the like ninety ninety one. I think I, I, uh, I think we we were handed out like brochures at school from like the sort of uh, com- communal guitar or or music uh, lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thing that you have there which is pretty cool and um and you just you know I just said you know I crossed off guitar and I thought that was it but yeah I was I was not a I, I was not a great student um so to speak but I'm, I'm really glad I did it and I did I did have a, a guitar teacher who who pushed me and who who saw that classical guitar was not for me he said okay I'll teach you to play the bossa nova Cause he was half Brazilian and he, oh, wow. he, 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 recognized that I was more interested in, you know, pop music and melodic music and um, songs. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll try to meet you halfway. I'll teach you pop, pop music from Brazil. And, and that was a, a great um, entry point for me. I, that's been a part of my life ever since, you know, Brazilian mm-hmm. music and the and love for, for that kind of harmony and that kind of songwriting. So, so that was, you know, I, I think I have him to thank for that.
0: Was that something that you had been introduced to prior to that, or was it like, okay, I'm going to teach you this type of music, and now you're like, okay, now I got to go figure out what this is or what, like, who to listen to to kind of understand what I'm creating at this point?
2: Yeah, I think it. It. I. I don't think I had. I don't think it was on my radar at the time, but but it it was pretty. I thought the chords were beautiful, and I think it it spoke to something that was inherently in me already um Mm -hmm. a love for a certain kind of chords and progression and um but i think i i i I grew to love jazz through Mm -hmm. learning bossa nova you know and through learning brazilian music and then i i went on to to become really fond of a lot of old jazz um songwriters um from a really early age because i i to me that sounded like the kind of pop music I wanted to make. And so most of my, my sort of pop music that I make has since been informed by, by jazz and by that kind of harmony and and Brazilian music. So I think, I don't know, I think he just hit, he just hit the jackpot in a way by, by turning Mm -hmm. me onto it. And then I would go and explore it myself.
0: Okay. And with that, like, I mean, were you in lessons for a a while? Like, did you take lessons all through middle school, high school? Or was it something that once you kind of got a grasp of it, you took it and became like you and you said it's kind of something you did independently.
2: Yeah, I think I, I, uh, I think I took lessons for like maybe four, maybe five years and immediately after I sort of got the hang of it and I. I think the moment I started to actually dare to sing, because my my mom would always encourage me to sing. I would write these little like chord progressions, and I would hear the melody inside of me. But my mom would always be listening, and and she would say, "Well, I I want to hear what you, the melody that you're hearing, but if in order to share that, you have to you have to sing." And, you know, I because I, I would play all these instrumental songs and they maybe wouldn't amount to much, but she found it beautiful, but, but she wanted to hear, hear, um, hear the melody. And, and so she encouraged me to sing and, and, and that felt really, you know, daunting and, uh, naked, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but the moment I started singing, I could actually communicate the the songs and the melodies and even the lyrics as, as, as silly or primitive as they were at that time. Um, and and that's when I I stopped taking guitar lessons because then I was like, well now I've I've got it from here, you know. <laughs> okay. I thought, okay, I know now I know enough chords to to sort of make progress on my own and I can sing and I can make songs and I can start playing. Um I, I felt like there's nothing more uh that I need to learn, <laughs> which of <laughs> course wasn't true, but I but I I am glad I, I moved on on my own because I, I felt, well, you know, I, 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 I wanted to explore on my own from there. And it still took me years to get really good at songwriting, but it, it, it but it, it was like, I, I had learned enough chops and I had a map of the terrain enough that I could carry on on my own. So i then, then I quit. Uh, and, um, and then since then I've just been, yeah, I've been trying, trying to learn more, of course, with mm-hmm. every song, I, I write, um, I'm trying to learn more, but um, it's been good sort of finding out some things you just got to find out on your own, you know? So once you have enough tools at your disposal, um, then it's, it's good to sort of go on this um, independent sort of uh, quest for, mm. for, for the songs or for the knowledge to, to do it on your own. Yeah.
0: yeah. You had the, the vehicle to, to write the songs and do what you wanted to do with, with it write songs and and now you have the courage to sing and you what gives you the courage to then get on a stage like does your sister say hey you're you know you're pretty good at this like i can get you a, a slot at this wherever she was working for an open mic night or
1: yeah pretty
2: pretty much um i think i had uh once i started singing um I just discovered like this deep uh, desire to perform and to be on that stage. Um, And I felt like this, you know, writing songs and singing, that was a way to justify just sort of basking in the audience uh, uh, attention in a way. You know, I felt I have to present something up there. I can't just go up there just because it feels good to be in front of an audience. So I, I, I think my sister and, and, Trip, probably everyone in my family they they saw that desire and 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 also that i that i i became kind of fearless like once i once i i i came in contact with the stage i felt free like i i was terrified in the beginning at first of the idea of going up there but once i got up there i was very fearless and i was very unafraid and and bold and uh, and i and it was clear that i loved being on stage so i i felt pretty quickly i just felt completely unfazed by by the act of of stepping up on on any stage i just loved it and i felt like well i, I felt i can do anything up here mm-hmm. uh, you know life off stage that that's frightening but being on stage that was suddenly i realized that was a whole for me it just I don't know why but it just felt like a completely free um I, I yeah I felt very in, uninhibited and free mm-hmm. and and uh, inspired whenever I was up there. I I felt like there were different rules for me on stage. Like I could do stuff there and express things on stage that I I couldn't find a way to to do and express um in in real life. And so I I I think that really informed my songwriting also like i I could really use use these songs and 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 my time on stage to to express some things that i find really difficult to talk about in 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 real life and, and that was such a revelation
0: yeah that's really fascinating to know that you know you almost had more of a, a confidence when you're up there right than in, in yeah in person with people
2: completely it, it was it was a I think it was very, cause I, I, I always felt kind of kind of, I don't know, kind of shy. Like I, I felt I had like certain uh, platforms or certain settings where I, I, I I um, could thrive, but I was not like, I was not a very like, um and I, and I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed some sometimes being funny in class or saying funny things. So it, it was obvious that I, I enjoyed an audience and I enjoyed creating a reaction in people, but I, I wasn't very, you know, tough for, I didn't play any sports. I didn't do any mm-hmm. of those, those things. So, so I felt like a pretty, you know, s- <laughs> sensitive, shy kid in, in many ways. I don't know if that always came across because I I, 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 I wasn't, I, 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 I had friends, and I, I you know, I, I, I mm-hmm. had like a, a platform. But, but once I found the stage, and and once I found music, I, I, I felt, uh, I felt like, oh, well, that's where I, that's where sure. I'm thriving. You know, that's mm-hmm. where I need to be.
1: Yeah, that's
2: in, it's
0: interesting because, I mean, personally, I'm a really introverted person, and if you put me in a crowd right. people or around people, I'm just like, oh, like I don't know how to like, right. like handle myself. Uh, but yeah. I've done radio, and I, I was on the radio for, you know upwards to 17 years and I do this, and I can talk to people like this. Uh, I feel like me personally, I'm wondering if if you have a similar uh, situation where like, I know I can be open with people and and chatty and and extroverted because I kind of know, I feel like, like I know it's to expect, so to speak. Like I know what I'm doing because I've done it for a while. Like, do you feel like because you are going to go on a stage and it's like all eyes on you, but you're like, okay, I got this set list I've kind of planned out my, my moves. Like, do you feel like that kind of helped with your confidence level as far as like being in a situation where now you're around all these people and it's like, okay, you don't really know what's going to come at you. Like, that's how I feel. I don't know if if you had a similar feeling.
2: Yeah, I guess in some ways, but, but I really thrived on not really planning too much. I, I, that was maybe what surprised me because I, I, I felt in real life, I really tried to, uh, I wanted to maybe control, uh, you know, how people saw me or you wanted to control uh, things that can't be controlled. But on stage, I, 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 I found very quickly that I, I thrived on improvised, say, you know, improvisation, mm-hmm. I thrived on sort of on just, um, responding, uh, almost, you know, like, uh, yeah, like, uh, like improv, you know, I felt, um uh, I never felt at a loss for like something to say or do. Um and I know a lot of people who were really good at playing music, they they hate that part of, of going on stage because <laughs> right. they they don't know what to say or where to put their hands. But I, I felt the opposite immediately when I was on stage. I felt I felt like things just came to me and I would sometimes forget to play the actual song because I really enjoyed. The interaction with with the crowd so mm-hmm. much, and I, I and I certainly uh, enjoyed the attention. So it was like entering this zone where 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 it, that it just the things that could get off, awkward and strange for me in, in in real life or interactions or, you know, I, I was never it was not easy for me to approach uh, a, maybe a girl that I I had a crush on or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I but on but on stage I felt like I got superpowers and I could i could I could sort of seduce the audience in a way that I could never seduce a uh, uh, a girl <laughs> in real right, life you right, know, yeah. as, as a kid or as a teenager so mm-hmm. i i i found like these things it felt like superpowers in a way, even mm-hmm. if you know just a small room and an open mm-hmm. mic, and I was you know 13, 14, 15 years old um I'm sure I was presenting a lot of stuff that was you know not ne- necessarily very good um Yet, but it, it, I, but it was clear, I think, to everyone that like, whoa, you know, this guy has at least he's got some balls to just stand right, there, and like, right. make it look like he actually, com- you know, deserves to be up on on the stage. You know, that mm-hmm. was but, a rush,
0: sure, which is the thing in itself. Because if you get up there and you're like timid and you don't really know what you're doing, then people are kind of like, what's up? What's up with this person? Like, yeah, if you bring yeah. a personality up there and you're kind of big in, in the sense of like, okay, you're you're being, you know. Quick and witty, and you're playing, and it's just like it bull, kind of you're probably building off the audience, and they're seeing their reactions, and you're like, "Okay, this is working yeah that kind of it's almost like it's boosting your confidence as you as you kind of move totally,
2: forward. totally, yeah. totally like
0: that um yeah. what would you say like okay, so you get comfortable on stage, you're writing songs you you get to play these shows, your sister's hooking you up with some gigs and stuff, like what is the next like you know milestone I know you you got signed pretty early on. Not early, early on, but I mean, you signed a deal with a major label on, yeah, for your first record. But like prior to that and that whole situation, like what led up to that?
2: Um, yeah, I think I, I got really lucky because one of these, um, open mic gigs at my one of the clubs my sister worked at, um, there was like a, I think word just got around, oh, there's this kid, uh, you know, and I grew up in a small town. So, you know, like, Two hundred fifty thousand people live here, um, so word gets around in the music scene pretty quickly. There's this this kid, and it was enough that a, this local producer, who I really I knew very well, who he was, HP Gunderson mm-hmm. is his name. He invited me to his studio, and he hadn't even seen the show, but he had heard talk, and he said, oh, "You know, come up, come up to the studio, and you want to play me some songs." And wow. and I knew very well who he was. He you know. He was a uh, really cool, or you know, still is really cool producer, songwriter, musician. Really, really beautiful artistic soul. Like, and and um, and uh, I, I just walked up there, and he said, you know, I was really nervous and timid. And then when he asked me to play, I just looked him in the eye and I played this, you know, mediocre song that I'd written. You know. But mm-hmm. he, he just he he and I think he really just liked that energy of like switching from you know that that sort of more timid normal teenage vibe and then but when you're playing the music it's it's serious and you're it's full commitment. Right. because um, I think I think he's he's told me like it wasn't the song itself. The song itself wasn't that good, but it was there was something there and and so we he immediately just um let me come by the studio whenever whenever there was uh, nothing going on there. I, I got comfortable in the studio. I could play him my new songs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We did demos. And it was, you know, he really was incredibly generous and and had the really the best intentions. And then I think I was always hoping that whenever I came by, I was always hoping that I'd play him something new that he would be like okay, okay, now you're, now we're talking, now let's make a record. you know? mm-hmm. Cause he was, he was very critical, um, but encouraging, you know, but, but he, you know, I felt really honored that he zoomed in on my songs. Cause that's what I was you know, I, that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to really take, take me seriously, you know, as mm-hmm. a songwriter. And he did, um, even before I, I had much to offer. Uh, and then I, yeah, when I was, when I was 16, um, he uh, he had invited me to the studio as usual, and and I, I I think I had told him I have a new batch of songs, and I I played him a bunch of of the new songs, and and he actually turned around and he said, "All right, let's make a record," and wow. and it was it was amazing. It was it was uh, it was what I, I had been hoping for for so long.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I felt, of course, you know, I was 16, but I felt like i was running out of time i was so ready you know but um suddenly yeah i, I he really inspired me and he challenged me to write better songs and uh, and and suddenly i did and and that was basically those were the songs for my first album called um called faces down that he co-produced and um and he sent around these demos to labels and, and I signed. i signed to virgin records and uh, yeah, things just happened suddenly, things actually happened really fast. Uh, I had to, you know I had to complete school. Uh, my mom and dad wanted me to complete school before the record came out. but I released a couple of EPs that r- did really well in Norway, and
1: mm-hmm. now
2: uh, I got to work with a really cool label, you know, major label, but really, really great people, and I felt really protected. I was very strict, I was very like uh, uncompromising I was really really uh pretentious <laughs> right but but in, but in a good way i really wanted to protect my music and i i was not gonna be anyone's uh you know teenage puppy and you just do whatever i wanted to really make a record that i was proud of and i and i did and, and and suddenly i was you know touring the world and and it was released in a lot of other you know in, in europe in asia and america eventually the year after and I found myself touring in America and that was something I never imagined would happen. America seems so far away, but that record did pretty well in America. And I, mm-hmm. and yeah, my you know, in, in just a couple of years, things, my life changed a, a, a great deal, you know, and from, from uh, I think the album came out when I was 18. And then by the time I was 19, I was, I was spending most of my time touring in America and, um, and eventually I, I moved to New York. So it was this, it was really wild, explosive time, but it somehow just felt natural <laughs> to me because it mm-hmm. was like, yeah, like this, this is this is what I was this had to happen. You know, right. that's what you're so, working for. for yeah, sure. exactly. But wow. I I did feel really uh privileged because I, I I I did work with a lot of really good people, both on the creative side. Um, obviously my my producer. And um, and the musicians that I was sur- surrounding myself with gave me a lot of, you know, like a footing that felt secure. And um, yeah, I, I got I got pretty lucky. Uh, I worked with good people on the label side as well, and and there was still you know a lot of money in in the in the sort of major label system at the time. So I <laughs> yeah. just I just got in right before the bottom fell out of that, and and uh, at least I had a couple of years where with like tour support and and uh, we made music videos and, you know, like, uh, Yeah, you get to do all the the rock story type things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, and then, you know, uh, when I got to like my, even maybe my second or third album, by that time, you know, MP3 and all, you know, all that stuff was happening. And I, I started to sense that, you know, I'm, the way that I make music, and the way I want to make sure that I'm always doing exactly what I want creatively and artistically. Um, it's probably not compatible with being on a major label uh, forever. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I was probably spending more of their money than they were making back. <laughs> so you, you, it just adds up. So I, I, after my fourth record, I, I started um, trying to, you know just create my own label to put out my own music to sort of to sort of retain uh control over it and and uh and basically learn a whole new way of, of being an artist and become a fully independent recording and touring artist and that's been sort of my life the last 10 years i guess
0: yeah wow yeah. well even after i mean i'm i'm curious because i think this is a great film dan in real life you wrote a bunch of the yeah. songs for the record or for the soundtrack yeah. And yeah. with with that were you still on virgin at that time or was that after?
2: Yeah, that was that was uh towards the end. That was towards the end. I I had um when that came about I was two records into my career and um I was just about to release a record called Duper Sessions which was I guess more of a overtly jazz inspired record. Mm-hmm. And uh and the director um Peter Hedges uh, came to my my door. I, at that point, I was living in in the West Village in New York, and he came. Okay, he came to my door. It, it turns out his psycho his his shrink was in 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 my basement, and the, he had reached out because cause he was writing was- this.
0: Literally in the basement, or he? Lo-
2: yeah, was- he went to a shrink that, that it was located in in the in the same building in the basement, oh, <laughs> <building. okay. laughs> and he found yes. out this uh <laughs> because he contacted my my manager at the time and, and said, "Hey, I we I really want to get in touch with this guy Sandro Larke because I've been writing this movie called Dan in Real Life, and I've only been listening to his music while doing it. He had been listening to." To faces down in two way monologue and um, and it, it, the songs were starting to appear in the in the script and and he said I I I want you to to compose all the music for my movie wow <laughs> and it was it was a wild thing I just moved to New York and um, so, you know I just gotten married I had just like be- trying to become an adult and he comes and says I I so I cast. Steve Carell, and Juliet Binoche to be in this film. We're going to shoot it. Uh, yeah, shoot it uh, half a year from now. But I want you to just start working now. I want you to read the script and start making music. Uh, and both do songs, original songs, uh, original score, and also he wanted to use some of the, the older songs. So, so this was, yeah, this was happening all at once. I was at that time releasing one record and recording another. So I was in a really you know productive busy, <laughs> busy, busy state and then suddenly i was also doing this this major um uh, motion picture film score you know so it was a very strange uh overwhelming time i you know i was maybe 23 at the time so it was like it was really cool and, and once again i got to work with amazing people and peter the director was was is one of the loveliest warmest um human beings i've ever met he was very encouraging and he insisted that i can do this um and i, I and i and i did it that i did my best and i got to to work under his protection uh so it was really really a cool experience but it was it was not something i saw coming at all and it felt like obviously um a movie like that you're, you're going to be exposed to a whole new whole new audience um and, oh, yeah. and who, who are going to be attached to the music because of the the way that the the film makes them feel. And then hopefully the music adds to that. So it was, a, it was a really, really great opportunity. And, and, um and I, it, I, it definitely solidified my, this idea that, okay, well, I think I'm going to probably stay in, in America for a while, you know, mm-hmm. I enjoyed living there. And suddenly I had this side gig as a film, film composer, you know,
0: yeah and that's that's so huge right i mean at that point i mean steve carell is so huge but he was like peaking at that and like dane cook was in the movie and he was doing like really well yeah so i mean the was that kind of were you i mean i don't want to stick on this too long but it's just very fascinating to me i mean just switch gears like that going from like just writing a record and putting them out to now like you have to read a script and then what develop songs kind of around what what's happening in the dialogue and like was that a fun project and was that hard to kind of you know turn on a dime and, and work that way yeah,
2: yeah it was it, i found it really challenging i didn't always um know what uh was expected and 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 i the only, i basically just tried to to come up with as much stuff as possible so that uh peter could hear hear it and basically say no, that's not it. This is interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really
2: hard to write songs with lyrics uh, that didn't sort of over uh, comment on on the film or the scene. So it was a whole new experience. But it was really it was good for my ego to sort of suddenly be just writing music that was supposed to serve someone else's vision. You know, so it, I learned a lot from that, and I'm glad that I I had a lot of time to invest in between touring and releasing this records that that I could, I could could literally be on the set and and write music on the set, which apparently doesn't ever, everybody was telling me like this, don't get used to this. This is not how films are usually scored. The composer (laughs) doesn't, you know, usually the composer comes in after the movie's shot here. I was Mm -hmm. writing to the script before it had been filmed. And suddenly Peter was writing a scene where I appear with my band and he flew over my band from Norway to be wow. in, in the, in the final scene in the movie. Um, so all this stuff happened and and, and I would also um, get, to, he wanted me to be, to get to know the actors and to work with them on music. Uh, not like song, you know, not original songs, but he wanted me to coach them in, in singing songs that he gave them, like uh, fa- you know, famous songs that he felt corresponded with their character. So I was, I was one on one with with um, with uh, Juliette Binoche and and John Mahoney uh-huh. and Diane Weiss, all these amazing actors, just sitting with them, working on. Uh, so I was sort of a music coach all of a sudden, and then that was. I I don't know that I necessarily <laughs> knew what to do with that role <laughs> because I. I felt overwhelmed, um, but it was fun, nevertheless. And it did inspire me. I I was also, you know, uh, Steve Carell didn't really have uh, time to to learn to play the guitar. He was going to, but he he didn't have time. He was filming The Office. He was filming Evan Almighty. You know, it was crazy.
0: Yeah, he had like a million things going on at that point. He
2: was all over the place. Um, And The Office just happened to be my favorite show. So I, oh, was, wow. I, was, I was amazed that I was, you know, texting my brother at home saying like, well, today I'm actually, I'm working with Steve Carell because I'm, I'm going to be the guy playing the guitar. He's going to pretend to play the guitar. We're going to have eye contact. They're going to shoot him and he's going to ma- basically match my, we're going to match each other's movements. And he's wow. going to sing, my, let, me, let my love open the door, which mm-hmm. we, we did all this live, but only i'm the i'm playing the guitar but you're seeing him playing the exact same guitar so so we i was suddenly i found myself in a lot of really strange uh situations just on set um uh, making making this stuff work beyond just making music for the film i was i was playing music with with all these actors so it was really it was really really cool it was um it was not something I I ever expected to be doing, and and the, and the film came out very very well, and people loved it, and it me it's a meaningful film to a lot of people, and and those songs uh, that and that you know I wrote a lot of songs that didn't make it um, onto the film because I probably because I didn't always know what to do, so I just I just wrote as much as possible so we would have a lot to pick from, but editing and 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 putting music in was also really fun because it happened just a couple of blocks from where I lived at the time. So I could be a part of the, the early editing of the movie and, and try out pieces for the, for the score. So that really helped me a great deal as well. Cause it, it would have been hard for me. I think at that point to, to score something like uh, without trial and error, you know? Right, so Right. It was, it was cool.
0: Yeah. That's amazing that you had that opportunity to really be on set instead of them being like, you know, him coming to you and saying, I love what you're doing. I love these records. I want you to f- score this film. And here it is. Good luck. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> or how do you? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Was, so you it probably was, got feedback as as the film was being shot.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As it was being shot and as we were editing it. And uh, and, and, you know, thankfully, I think for me, Peter the wanted a, a really, a really sort of naked handmade feel to everything mm-hmm. so he was really resistant to use strings or to use anything that reminded him of, of a, a, a normal sort of hollywood score and and that made it actually easy for me to record a lot of it at home you know i could i, I recorded it and you could hear the radiator in my room in uh, wow. <laughs> some of it so it's a really it's a really unusual score for a for a relatively big uh touchstone pictures walt disney production but yeah we huge. did that it, it, because he wanted it that way and, and he wanted things to sound a little sloppy and human, you know, as he put it. And then, and then we finished it off in the studio with, with some, some strings and some, some other instrumentation. And, and, you know, the song that, that I do with um, where I had uh, uh, Regina Spector sing mm-hmm. one of the songs with me. We did that also in New York. But it, it was, um, yeah, it was a strange time in my life.
0: That's so cool though. So cool. When you got, how quickly did that happen? Like how long had you, had you been living in New York when that kind of came to
2: I'd been living for a year. Probably I moved to okay. New York in, in 2005 and then early 2006, I think I, I met Peter and, and then, um, got to work pretty quickly. Um, cause I just had, because I was touring, I just had to, whenever I had free time, time I just yeah. had to work on, on down in real life. And then, and then I'd be gone for a month and then uh, something, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was so, so, uh, so through tw- 2006, 2007, I would work on this a lot. And then I think we locked picture uh, and, and music, um, by the, by sometime in the summer of 2007 and, and the film came out that fall. And I got to meet all the, the cast of the office, uh, at the, the premiere in, in Hollywood, <laughs>
0: That's insane! That's so cool. That yeah. is so cool. Um, I'm curious when what took you to New York? Was it just the fact that you had been touring the U.S. at this point, and you had some success here? Was it like, okay, this is just the next logical move to move to the United States?
2: Yeah, probably. It it, it was uh, it was that, and then my girlfriend at the time, or who who I married, um, she was from Norway, but she went to she was going to go to school. Uh, in in New York, when we met, and uh, I was there a bunch, and so she was going to live there for a couple of years. It just made sense, you know. I had a label and, and a pretty good setup there, and so it just seemed like the adventurous, bold move to to just okay, well, let's let's get married and live in New York, you know. It was, sure. was kind of <laughs> wild. <laughs>
0: That's amazing, though. And then you eventually moved to Los Angeles, correct? Was that years later? Yes,
2: I did. Yeah, that was like. I think I lived in New York for 13 years and wow. then I moved, I moved to LA um, and I lived there for two years before the pandemic. pandemic. Happened. I can't move, okay. but I lived, yeah, I lived in Hollywood right down the street from, from the movie theater where Danny in real life premiered. It was very strange to be back in Hollywood um, mm-hmm. and live there, you know?
0: Yeah. No, no, definitely. I'm curious. Like once you got to New York and you know, your careers obviously continuing to go, you did that in real life. Like after that film, like what would you say between, I'm sure there's a ton of them, but like, what were like kind of the big milestone moments for you between like during your time in Los Angeles or during your time in New York after the film had came out?
2: Um. Well, then I think, you know, I put it, I put out a couple of records
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: and, and I was tr- figuring out this more sort of independent way of, of basically doing it myself or financing the records and touring, uh, responsibly, you know? And, and, um, so I was touring a bunch, but I was sort of, I, I think I was just trying to figure out, um, a lot of stuff with regards to just, oh how do I do this? You know, how, how do I become the master of my, my own career in a sense, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot, you know, cause I had been pretty privileged early on in my career. Um, I had had a lot of good helpers and now I was, you know, growing up, I was trying to find out how to, how to sort of master it. um, Be the master of my own domain sort of. And um, so I put, yeah, I put out a couple of records. I think for me, a big, big breakthrough was uh, I made the record, um, a record called please, which Mm -hmm. came out in 2014 and that was creatively, a big breakthrough um where i experimented more with different ways of writing and different ways of recording working with a bunch of different producers rather than one uh co-producing myself and and, and really sort of stepping up um i felt that was at the time and you know the, my best sort of best work um and uh and i i'm still very proud of that record And i, I feel that record was very liberating to me you know it was it was, uh, it was it was it was important uh, work and 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 I think energizing also for a lot of my audience you know because it was it definitely had a new energy and a, and a much bolder palette um, so I think it, it energized and and maybe even reached some new people um, mm. I've I've done a lot of different stuff so so you 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 win you you gain some audience and you lose some by right. by changing and by evolving and that's fine but uh, but I felt that record was was energizing in a lot of ways,
0: and you're going through a lot personally. There, I mean, from what I've read, yeah. you call it like your divorce record, right? I mean, I don't, yeah. want, I don't, want to get too far into that, but, but <laughs> that's interesting. No, that you no, that you kind of put out your best piece of work at that moment.
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it, you know, it was definitely labeled the divorce album, and and it, and I think it took people by surprise in the sense that it was not like a, um, it was not like a, like a, a sort of bitter, whiny why divorce record it was it was right. a lot of things but it was really um it had a lot of energy and a lot of lust for life and also a lot of empathy i, I really uh, wanted to try to write from any possible perspective and to try to understand what was happening in my own life and and why my life as i knew it was dissolving but also what uh what what new uh what new uh experiences and and new life could come from that so I think it was there was a maturation you know maturation happening that was Mm -hmm. really really good for me ultimately and and um and I I feel that the record is a manifestation of that sort of strength and and that and 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 you know the willingness to be vulnerable and and to uh, understand that uh this is not something that's happening to you but it's it's uh it's rather uh, an opportunity for uh, for new perspectives and to move on with, with, uh, with love and, and, uh, empathy really. So mm-hmm. I feel that record, you know, was a turning point in, in, in that sense. Yeah. You know?
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I've, I would think that like, yeah, you'd have a lot of emotions into that record, a lot of stuff to, if you were going through a whole lot and then it's like, okay, was it like a release? Like, okay, I got to get all this out. I can get all this out. And then once it was out, is that, You know, was that part of, I mean, maybe some of that feeling? I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, I felt really, just really energized and I felt more sort of, uh, I wanted to, suddenly I wanted to start moving more on stage. I wanted to sort of free myself from the guitar so I could dance, I could move. So it was also sort of about inhabiting your body more um, in in the music and on stage. So I really started to challenging, uh, I, I started to challenge myself more. Uh, with what I do on stage and think more conceptual about the, the sort of visual representation of the music, the videos, I started getting much more involved and, and have much more in- initiative with regards to just every, everything. Um, so I felt like that's when I really grew into the kind of really independent auteur uh, mm-hmm. in, in music. And that I, I think I always wanted to be. Um, sure. Yeah, I just took a little bit of life happening for it to happen. You
0: know? Yeah. And with your next the the next record after that pleasure was is the latest record, I guess, compared to the new one that's coming out, right? So that that's the gap, right? <laughs> you or do you well, have something in between then?
2: Yeah, there's uh there's pleasure from twenty seventeen and then there's patience also. So there was almost like a, a bit of a trilogy. A oh, piece. sure,
0: sure, sure. Okay, sorry. Yeah, please, I got confused pleasure there. and patience. Pleasure no, and fine. patience. That's, yeah, it's a
2: lot of records, and, and there's a <laughs> lot of a lot of peace in in that little trilogy. But so, yeah, I did the last album I did was Patience in 2020. Right, yeah, so you went, know, right. Please put ple- please
0: pleasure patience was kind of the trilogy of the record. Yeah. And were you writing in that sense, or did it just kind of happen that way? It kind of happened. <clears throat> <Okay.
2: clears throat> I was feeling yeah, I was just feeling really inspired really. And I was touring a lot. And suddenly also I, I had developed this great relationship with my backing band who I started playing with in 2011. And so I had this whole new platform, creative platform. and, and, uh, it just, yeah, please just bled into pleasure, which was even more sort of groovy and electronic and, and physical, um, uh, in, in both on stage and, and on record. And, and then, um, Patience was this album that really I worked on on and off for seven years since the beginning of, of that whole trilogy that, and that when I, when I was writing that or ma- and making and completing that album, it really, it, it felt like the record I always wanted to make, you know, it felt like a, a very sort of substantial statement for my, my entire career and my, my life's work, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and and it was really a joy to share that record. Even though, you know, a lot of plans were halted because of the pandemic, um, it, it felt really meaning, meaningful to share a record called Patience in that strange time and for it to sort of correspond. I felt that it corresponded with some of what people were needing and what people were feeling and people were going through. So it, it was sort of a strange uh uh timing wise it was sort of uh, sort of i don't know i'm not luck- lucky but it, it right. felt like it was meaningful somehow that the record did actually come out in that time and then i thought well now i'm not going to put out a record for a long time because i i made this big statement and then and then basically the last year and a half i i spent in norway Touring a lot solo, solo whenever I could, um, because you know socially distanced up, of course, and right. just trying to hustle and find find ways of still doing what I do, even though we're not allowed to do it, you know. And and um, and that actually proved really fruitful. I I think I in the same way that I I always thrived on improvising on stage, I, I found I really actually thrived on improvisation in just in my career and with. With the uh, the constantly changing landscape of of touring during the last two years, and and then I just also parallel to that um, started writing all these really dense lyrical uh, new songs that 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 I felt in a way now I felt I was suddenly making the record I never thought I'd be able to make, and that and that's what's become this double album uh, mm-hmm. Avatar yeah. So it surprised me as much as anyone.
0: (laughs) Well, you said, did you say Patience was songs that you had been writing over the course of seven years? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. But you had the two
0: other records that came out that what, the songs just didn't fit on or like... Yeah,
2: I think it came out of that because like um, one, you know, some of the songs that didn't fit on, please, they, I, 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 I would continue with those for pleasure But then there were songs that didn't fit into either one of those. And and those became the starting point for for Patience. And and that informed some of what I was looking for there. But with this new one, with Avatars of Love, it's really just all songs that I wrote within the span of one year. And so it's written and recorded in the span of one year. So it was this very, you know, explosive, process where where i didn't really try to write songs but it just happened and then suddenly some of the songs are 10 minutes long and they have <laughs> 10 10 verses and you know it really i i i i didn't know much else to do than to just try to capture it and complete it and i i was working on like some extra weird energy that i i didn't didn't really know uh mm-hmm. from before so it, it felt like a A new chapter in many ways yeah and so Mm -hmm. suddenly there's a a double record of like 86 minutes of music (laughs) 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 a lot
1: it's a lot to take in
0: with with so you move from new york to los angeles and then you're in los angeles when the pandemic happens is that what kind of brought you home to norway or like
2: yeah Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. I was, I was in LA beginning of March and I, I, I left for Norway cause I started getting a bad feeling. I was like, shit, this, this is probably more serious than I think. And it was much more serious than I thought at the time. Cause I thought, well, I'll go home for a month and then I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was about to, to announce the album, announce tours, announce videos, you know, do all this stuff. And, yeah, and I thought, well, I'll go home to Norway and maybe I can keep the wheels in motion there. Cause it's a little, you know, smaller country, more tidier and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Trump wasn't president of Norway. So that was good. Um, so, so I, I, uh, I went home, but I, I didn't really expect to stay there, but because of everything that was happening, uh, in order to keep, keep, keep wheels in motion, I, I ended up staying in, in Norway where, cause I was able to do. A couple of more things here than I, I would have been able right. to in America. So, so I, in the end, it, it, I was really thankful that I could come home and, mm-hmm. uh, and suddenly, you know, two years have passed and now I'm still here. So it's still, still there. <laughs> yeah.
0: You, yeah. I'd read that you kind of had a different approach to this, this record, that, which is a double album, which is incredible to uh, read a double record in a, in a span of a year. But from what I read, you were saying that you were writing a song and then kind of just putting it out instead of what, like sitting yeah. on it too long, you were just write the song, what recorded. And then that was the, the, the version.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I, uh, I was able to just spend like a week or two just really focusing on a song, um, that I had been feeling coming on and then goes, yeah, go straight into the studio. I had like four or five different studios and and constellations of co-producers and musicians that I work with. So I could, I could have a lot of stuff going at the same time. And, uh, and I was kind of, w- yeah, working, just working overtime, but it's a strange time. Cause I was also like partying a lot and I was running, I was training for, for my fifth marathon and I was training to run. What? Your one- fifth w- marathon?
0: Like you full yeah. marathon.
2: Yeah. I, I, cause I started running marathons was <laughs> like in like oh, 20- 2017
1: Wow. And which was a
2: complete surprise because I never was into sports, but I suddenly I, I, wa- I had to run to, to to be in better shape to be able to sing and move on stage. And one thing led to another and I ran the New York marathon and, and then I started just wanting to run more. And, and, uh, and I got really close. I ran Chicago it was my first, fourth ma- marathon. I ran, I ran um, really, I got really close to doing it in three hours. And then of course I had to, try to get below three hours and and uh, and that was my main goal the summer of 2020 was just training to to be able to to run um in under three hours and and that was while all of this was happening and I was playing all these solo shows and traveling around the country on my own so it was a really strange time and then in between I'd be ha- hanging out with friends and drinking wine and, and then that's also when I had the idea to start like a uh like a this natural wine brand. So I did that and I wrote children's books. It was very strange. I, I just <laughs> oh started so You're busy. Much. I started busy. so many weird things that I, that made sense to me and that still makes sense. And, and, but I, I, I had a lot of energy and a lot of like, I wanted a lot of stuff I wanted to get, get going and get, get out into the world. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad for it, but I, I I'm trying now to, to be, you know, to, to <laughs> To not uh, burn out completely because it, it's been it's been pretty intense the last. Oh, few
0: years. I can't even imagine just the record and training mar- for marathons alone sounds like way too much. And then you know you said you started a wine company and you're writing children's yeah. books as well. Oh my
2: goodness! Yeah, we just we just launched actually two of the two of the the bottles in in, in America as well. It's called Potos. It's uh it's organic biodynamic. Uh, wine one is like a cava sparkling delicious wine and another is a a rosé um uh, from from spain from catalonia and uh now i'm working on some italian wines in the same brand that's hopefully we're going to be able to share uh later this year but uh it's been really really cool um to to be able to branch out into to winemaking (laughs) it's it's very i didn't see that coming either but i i do enjoy wine but i'm not a I'm not a, a specialist, but it's I've always enjoyed wine rather than beer and you know, spirits. So I I'm learning a lot and just trying to create a really cool cool experience and a cool brand for mm-hmm. for really good products, you know.
0: That is awesome. Is that why you're doing so many wineries on this tour coming out?
2: <laughs> um, I, I guess <laughs> I actually I didn't think of that, but it's I think you're yeah, putting five
0: city wineries. One of them was here in Nashville, wineries. and I'm going to that because that's that's where I'm okay, at good. now. I know you're playing San Diego, sure. which is a bar, yeah. the soda bar, but I don't know if they, it's kind of a, it's more of a rock club. So I don't know if they sell wine. There. Maybe they I got to make,
2: I got to make sure that they have, uh, have my wines at these, all these city wines. That's what I mean. Yeah. Tour. Yeah.
0: That's true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It wasn't even a correlation. It just happened to happen that way.
2: Yeah, I guess um, they're there. Yeah. I haven't actually thought of that, but it, 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 now that you mention it, it's a, it's a no brainer, but yeah, they, they have a lot of cool <laughs> venues around and, uh, and they're, uh, yeah, they're pretty artist friendly. So it, it made sure. sense to do a couple of, a couple of those.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I did see their last show on your tour is in Nashville. So
2: yeah. end we'll of tour. Here. That's, That's amazing. fantastic. That's amazing.
0: So cool. And I, like I said, I love the songs that you've put out so far on this new record Uh, the 10 minute version which you cut into i think about seven and a half eight minutes for the music video the fact that you have the art is like hand drawn you know dancing and that had to be a whole production in itself just putting together 10 minutes (laughs) of like animated footage.
2: yeah that's why like uh, uh, cj wallace is the director who animated and directed the, the video for avatars of love and and he was asking me, I sent him the song. And of course the deadline was, was, you know, way too soon, uh, but he was a good sport. And he, he said, but you know, do you think is, are you okay with, can we fade at some point, you know, because mm-hmm. it's 10 minutes long, but you, st- you the song, the vocals <laughs> are over after <laughs> seven minutes. Seven are half you half okay? Half. With, if, if, if I can fade it there, it just m- is means I have, um, it takes three. me three weeks less <laughs> yeah, to make three this minutes left like a full yeah. song left less yeah. to do <laughs> so i always say like, yeah, of course of course so we we just faded out but the full album version yeah is 10, 10 minutes and 21 seconds yeah it's got a pretty good saxophone solo there so it's a him. rad
0: song i love you're you're discussing all this stuff in pop culture too is that just stuff you were experiencing throughout the pandemic i mean talk about taylor swift's two taylor swift records and britney spears which she had a lot of focus on during the pandemic and
1: yeah
2: it's i there's a lot of uh there's songs and albums that are meaningful to me there are artists who i was thinking about i'm very interested in in pop culture and and especially of course the interaction between. Uh, persona and, and art, you know, and, and, and obviously, really famous people um, are become or famous characters and names become really interesting, because they become larger than life as personas, but they're still uh, vulnerable artists creating mm-hmm. art from from a very personal perspective. And Taylor Swift is very interesting, and obviously very talented. Um, and I, I've, I've had I've had a great affinity for, for Britney Spears and been following her sort of emancipation and I did I actually did a, a Britney Spears tri- sort of cover EP in 2019 just at the beginning of the the Free Britney movement um, to sort of I don't know to bring and there was it just felt meaningful to sort of bring that into focus and so I've been I was happy to to, to follow that case Um, i
0: didn't know that you uh what's the what's the ep called that's all
1: it's just
2: called it's called britney (laughs) there's one song yeah there's an original song that that i wrote uh inspired sort of by her her struggles and her her um her her battle and and then uh, there's three different collaborations that i did on Britney spears songs so i did that right before the patience album came out
0: Oh, wow. I need to find this thing on the internet because I didn't, yeah, I, I saw cool. you had a cover, like I, I was listening to some of your covers, like you did Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus and stuff. I love yeah. your song choices because like I'm a, such a sucker for female pop stars, like their music. I love it. Oh, wow. I did find it every time. Okay, cool. Amazing. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to have to check that out.
1: <laughs> very, <Thanks>. very cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, awesome! Thank you so much, Tanya, for doing this. This has been amazing, and I'm gonna definitely come check you out. Uh, I think the 29th of May, you're yeah. doing
2: show here in, in Nashville. That's, that's it. That's the final show of that. And the then, US are you take what, what's after that? You heading home right away, or I'm heading home. Uh, I've got a bunch of like festival shows here in in um, in uh, Norway for the summer. And, uh, and then, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, we'll see, maybe there'll be some more in the fall. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, if you're going to be around for a couple of days, <laughs> I have an open house for you.
2: <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I, I wish I could stay, but I have to, I have to, um, uh, I have to, yeah, I have to be Hop in Norway. Job, I home. I, yeah. I got to be <laughs> in Norway ready to play on June 1st. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You got it's a tight closed. schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: I can't wait to see you, man. Um, And I appreciate you doing this interview. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists.
2: Man, it's, I kind of have like boring advice, but it is, 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 you know, to really be true to yourself. And And if you don't yet know sort of what you want to do or where you're, you're going, like spend some time to figure that out, you know, and really find out why, one thing is more meaningful to you than the other, you know, in music and, and also in how you present yourself or how you want to be seen. Um, Cause it's, I think it, it's so easy for people to take advantage of, of you. If you don't know what you want to do, who you are and, and what is the substance that really gets you going. And I think that's really important to not be, Oh, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. If, if you're fine with all too many things, um, then I don't know that you should be an artist, you know, I, I think you need to, to really, really know yourself. And, and I think songwriting is about seeing through yourself, you know, and really um, sort of, uh, yeah, understanding who you are. And, and, and I think that, that makes a for really compelling artists. So...